And tonight is the last night that you can jump in, sign up, and be a part. So maybe if God's been working on your heart, you've been feeling prompted, but you haven't tagged me or anybody involved tonight grab me right after service I got forms here I got a sign up sheet I got information but that's free for anybody who's feeling prompted to go we got a couple spots left and again that's June 24th through July 1st but here at City Life Suffolk we have been in a series called God's Love Language Pictures Worth a Thousand Words God's Love Language and if you've got your Bibles here tonight you can turn to the good old uh, Psalm 23 Oldie but a goodie, right? If you got your Bible, it's probably creased to there. You probably got highlighter marks in there. If you got your uh, version app on your phone, you can swipe there. And if you don't have either of those, you're lucky here tonight because we have Bibles under our pews. So you have literally no excuse to not turn to Psalm 23 with your neighbor. But we are in this series called God's Love Language. And we're bridging the gap from Valentine's Day, our culture's celebration of love, all the way through Easter. God's perfect picture of love that we're given through Jesus Christ. And when you talk about God's love and you talk about somebody who preached God's love and pointed to God's love in prolific fashion, certainly it was Billy Graham. And he passed this week. It, was, uh, uh, it got me thinking. And we have a member here who's a precious member of our church community here in Suffolk. He drums like every week. His wife sometimes comes up and shares prophetic words. But Paul Birch actually is somebody who was reached by Billy Graham's ministry, watching TV in his room, God moving in his heart through Billy Graham. So I, we, we've been giving these out, these love uh, travel mugs. I want to give this to Paul and Stephanie. Not only just for that, because I've been thinking of you all week in a non-creepy way. <laughs> But also because you guys, serve, you guys serve your tail off, and we appreciate you guys. Paul was up there playing the drums. Stephanie was up here sharing. We just love the Birches. If you've never met them, shake their hand after service. They're amazing people. But again, I was thinking about Paul this week because of that, but I was also thinking about how remarkable it was, the timing, because we just launched a series this past week that's based on this Billy Graham quote that I read a few months ago. Kind of just marinated for a while, and that's what this whole series was prompted by. And the quote is this quote by Billy Graham where he says, God loves you. And he loves you with a love that you don't know anything about because there's no human love comparable to divine love. See, God loves you and he loves you with this love that you don't know anything about. What is he talking about? If you read 1 John 4, 8, it says God is love. Right? So God is love. God loves us. We understand that. But God is above our understanding. The Bible says his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So if God is love, it makes sense that, man, sometimes love is hard to understand, especially his love for us and how big that truly is. And could that be why we, throughout life, sometimes fail to love people as God loves us? Could that be why? Because love is big because God is love. And then it says in 1 John 4, 19, as John continues to write, he says, we love each other because he loved us first. And could it be that this is love in its proper order? That until we understand God's love for us, we won't be able to love people with the love of God as we're called to. But what's good is that God in his grace and in his love doesn't leave his love transcendent and incomprehensible. If I could tell you one thing tonight is that God wants you to encounter his love. Not in some ethereal way where it's an idea in your head, but truly encounter God's love in your life where it has an impact on your heart, your mind, your soul. So God, he doesn't just leave it as some idea that we can't grasp. In scripture, he gives us pictures. He gives us images. He gives us metaphors that help explain his love to us. And you might say, well, why pictures? It was Aristotle that says the soul does not think without a picture. 
Before we launch this series, you may have never heard that quote, but whether you've heard that quote or not, you've probably heard it said that a picture is worth a thousand words. And that's not far from the truth. We remember pictures long after words have left us. Up here in our brains, 90% of what's stored is images. People remember using imagery. They think and process using imagery in their heads. It's said that 70% of the human population are what we would call visual learners. And that's why they've measured uh, multiple times. And and some people would say up to 400%. If you use visual aids, that increases learning and aids earning by 400%. So God, he aids our understanding and our grasp of his love with these visual metaphors, pictures to hold on to. For example, last weekend we preached, or, or we shared, I preached, this image of God the potter and us the clay. And you might not be able to remember what that reference was. You might not be able to remember that, that verse word for word, but you certainly can remember that imagery that God gives us of his love, that he's the potter, we're the clay. He calls us to conform into the image of Christ, as it says in Romans uh, 8.29. So you might not be able to remember the exact words. You might not be able to remember the reference or what page it is on your Bible, but you can remember the image and the picture that God gives us. And if you've been raised in the church I did premarital counseling last night, and I was like, you heard of the book, The Five Love Languages? And they laughed, right? <laughs> yeah, we have it. We've owned it. We've read it, right? Because that's uh, a pretty common book by Gary Chapman. So maybe you think of love languages and you drift there. But I want to share six, not five, but six images and pictures in Scripture that God gives us to better understand his love. What are those pictures? There's the clay and the potter, sheep and a shepherd, servants and a master, kids and their father, two friends, and then finally a bride and a groom. And last weekend, we looked at this idea that we're clay and God is the potter. That he created us from the clay of the earth, the dirt and the dust, in his image, to be his image bearers. And where sin has vandalized that image and marred that image, God's love meets us where we are. And then after he meets us where we are, he calls us to conform back into the image of Christ. As it says in Romans 8, 29, and as it says in Colossians, he's the visible image of the invisible God. And God in his love in his care, as our creator calls us to conform to that image. He meets us where we are, but he loves us enough not to leave us where we are. We talked about how truth is a tool in the hands of God, and that we talked about Ephesians 4.15, how it says, we speak the truth in love and grow in every way more and more like Christ. That truth spoken in love and in the body of Christ and from one to another is one of the ways that he shapes us. But that's a 30-second cliff note version of last weekend's sermon. You can podcast it. But tonight, I want to transition with a verse tonight that transitions these two thoughts and these two images. It's in Psalm chapter 100, verse 3. In Psalm chapter 100, verse 3, it says, Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. What it's saying is he's our creator, we are the creation, we're his clay. And then it goes on to say we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So tonight I want to speak to this image of sheep and a shepherd. And I want to read Psalm 23. And this is where David, the poet, David the wordsmith, he becomes David the artist. And he paints this picture of God as our shepherd, God as the good shepherd. And it's framed and hung all over the place, quotes and verses from this psalm with, you know, pictures, picturesque pictures of sheep and their shepherd, and you might see it in the doctor's office, at a church office, where this is a a, a very quoted text. It's quoted in an old Clint Eastwood movie, Pale Rider. Paul Birch has probably seen it. Or or Full Metal Jacket in these movies that that it's been quoted. I've heard it. Maybe you haven't. Coolio in Gangsta's Paradise opens the song, As I Walk Through the Valley of the Shadow of Death, and that's enough quoting Coolio for tonight, but it's quoted. 
all over the place. People know about Psalm 23. I heard somebody reference it as the blue light prayer. That even when you're not saved, if there's blue lights flashing behind you, you start praying Psalm 23 because it's the only scripture you know, right? But when you, the world quotes it, their exegesis is, is often lacking. Their explanation of this imagery is often lacking. So I want to dig into it tonight. So I want to read Psalm 23, and I'm, I'm going to read the, the New King James Version. I don't often read from this, but it's, it's what I had memorized in my head. And I was like, I want to read what, what I know. So I'm preaching, so I get to choose a translation. But it says in Psalm 23, we're going to read the whole thing, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Before I go any further tonight, I just want to pray. Lord God, we thank you. God, for your spirit that's here ministering through worship and through your word, Lord God. And we just simply ask, God, that you would take this passage that no doubt many of us think, oh, I've checked that box, I've memorized that chapter, I've, I've learned teachings on Psalm 23. But, Lord God, I pray that you would just do a work in us and remind us, God, that sometimes we don't need more information as much as we need to take the word that we've been given and, and build our life around it and align it to your truth, God. So I pray that you would speak from your word tonight through your Holy Spirit and impact hearts and minds in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. So congratulations. In terms of this imagery, we have now gone from an inanimate object, a lump of clay, to at least something that has some life. Uh, we've graduated to sheep. And I was looking for a picture of sheep and their shepherd to use for the screen. And at first I had one, you wouldn't be able to tell because the saturation is turned down, but it was all green, all grass, all trees. It was, it was lush. It, there, was, there was grass and trees everywhere. And uh, I didn't use it because I think if David would have seen that picture, the shepherd David, he would have laughed at it. And if I'm going to reference his illustration of God, I want it to be accurate. Because the undeveloped lands where David lived, they were far from lush or green. Green pastures that are mentioned in Psalm 23, they were a rarity. They were not the norm. Water sources were few and they were seasonal. So shepherds had to get ready for long migrations from one source of grazing and water to another. So we aren't just introduced to life in Psalm 23, this imagery. We're introduced to life on the move. Sheep were constantly on the move, constantly being led by their shepherd. And it's fitting analogy for God's people, this idea of pilgrimage. It's an idea, an identity that marked his people, the Israelites in the Old Testament. You look at Abraham, who was called to leave his home and his family, everything he knew by God, to go and find a new home that he didn't even know where it was yet. You look at his grandson, Jacob, who was referenced in Deuteronomy as a, a wandering Aramean who, with his family of just 70-plus, moved to Egypt as shepherds, right? these wanderers. And then you look at the Israelites leaving Egypt, a little bit more than 70-plus, right? Almost a million by most counts, on their way to the promised land, and it took 40 years of, of wandering and traveling to get there. This idea of pilgrimage is all over the Old Testament, and it marks God's people, and it shouldn't be foreign to us either. It was Billy Graham that said, my home is in heaven, and I'm just traveling through this world. And he was just echoing Philippians 3.20, where it says our homeland is heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we read just now in Psalm 23 where it says, surely I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's home. 
That's Eden restored, perfect relationship and communion with God. And as we walk through this life and we experience the highs and lows and twists and turns of this life, we're often reminded, yeah, this, this isn't home. We get homesick, that painful gut feeling that something isn't right. Something at the soul level remembers Eden and groans for restoration. So our culture and our humanity, so often our culture, it desires for more without knowing exactly what that more is. So life becomes this journey where we set off in pursuit of what we think will fill that void. And along the way in our culture, we take advice like uh, make your own way, be your own boss, be your own shepherd, follow your heart. But like we talked last week, or Jeremiah 17, 9, our heart is deceitful, it's broken, it needs healing. And one glance at our culture shows that this idea of just follow your heart, be your own shepherd, it's not working out very well. So often we can end up like Dorothy in Oz, where we follow the road we've picked out and we have an idea of what's going to happen at the end. But when we get there, it's just a wimpy wizard behind a curtain rather than the God and the Lord that we need. See, we need the Lord and we need the Lord to be our shepherd. And if he isn't, something else will gladly pick up the rod and staff and be your shepherd. You know, you have a shepherd. Everyone has a shepherd. Verse 1 is basically a fill-in-the-blank text. Fill-in-the-blank is my shepherd. What's a shepherd do? It's what guides you. It's what feeds you, fulfills you. It's what drives you. What's your shepherd? Is it your career? Is it feelings? Is it power? Is it appetites, desires, sports? What, what shepherds you? What drives you? What feeds you and fulfills you? Because all these things... They can fail and be taken away. Power can be stripped from you. Health can be taken from you. Uh, Your career can be taken from you. Only God leads us to conclude eternally like David did, I shall not want. We need the Lord to be our shepherd. And again, when you see Psalm 23 illustrated or you see a verse quoted with a picture behind it, so often you get a picture like this one, full of sheep, right? Sheep everywhere, a whole flock of sheep. But what's interesting to me, what somebody pointed out to me once is in Psalm 23, there's no sheep to be found in the entire chapter. There's 400 plus images of sheep in the Bible. In Psalm 23, there's no mention directly of sheep. And why is it assumed that there's sheep involved? Because God is the shepherd. And what does that teach us? Is that if you know who God is, you begin to know who you are. If you want to find out your identity, find out who God is, and it will inform your identity in a way no one else can and no thing else can. Don't seek out who you are in your life. Seek out who God is as your creator and who God is your creator and your shepherd says you are, who God the Father says you are. Because again, our culture calls us on a journey, this pilgrimage of self-discovery and finding yourself. You will only find yourself completely in God, the one who made you, the one who knows you better than you know yourself. So think about this. Our identity is sheep. It's not very flattering, right? I just saw Black Panther, like, this guy's named after an animal, and it's an animal you'd want to be named after. Think of some superheroes that are named after animals. You got Black Panther, Wolverine, Falcon. There's no superhero named Sheep. <laughs> lamb. You're not going to find that anywhere because it would be lame. Because sheep are just about absolutely dependent. They're among some of the most defenseless animals in all of God's creation and on all of green earth. And this is the identity according to much of scripture, that references us as sheep. And God's love and the picture that we receive of it is of a shepherd. But we see for David, it's not problematic because David understood that our absolute dependence can be met by absolute confidence that we have a perfect and good shepherd. 
And when you think about it, though, David kind of had an edge because he was a shepherd. So he had a deep understanding of what a shepherd was, what a shepherd did. And and people say, scholars say that 80% of the people that Jesus taught would have lived off the land. Many of those people, they would have been shepherds. But I'm not sure there's a more foreign life calling and career and job in our culture than shepherd. Like, I I don't know how many of you guys are fresh out of high school can remember when you took those tests as a, I don't remember if it was a junior or senior, y'all can correct me over here in the RC section, where uh, you take the test and it's supposed to tell you what you're going to be when you grow up. Like the career you should choose, the path you should take, maybe what you should study in college. I don't think shepherd's on that list. (laughs) Random fact, I took that test in high school, told me I was going to be a hairdresser. (laughs) Don't tell many people that (laughs) because... That's, that's who's preaching to you tonight. But it's funny, I was prepping this sermon, I thought, I cut my hair, I cut Raja's hair, and I was like, maybe it was on to something. <laughs> but what's funny is if we taught about this image of God as a hairdresser, if that was in, it's not, you can dig through your scripture, it's not in there. But we'd understand that. I work at a Starbucks often on Wednesdays and Fridays that's right next door to a haircuttery. I walk past the haircuttery multiple times a week. You probably drive by barber shops and, and, and places that hair gets cut all the time. How many shepherds do you drive by? None, right? So we get this idea. We kind of have to shape this idea of shepherd in our heads. And I think sometimes the shepherd is the kindly guy that carries around cuddly lambs and he wears Birkenstocks and kind of just hangs out in the fields and in the grass, works on his tan. Because there's not a lot to do when you're a shepherd. You just kind of watch over some sheep as they eat grass. How hard could that be? We got a lot of grass here in Suffolk. But a shepherd's job was severe. It was tiring. It was hazardous. Called for a shepherd that was tough and yet tender. The theologian and pastor and preacher, Alistair Campbell, he said, in the Bible, the shepherd's unsettled and dangerous life makes him a slightly ambiguous figure, more perhaps like the cowboy of the wild west than the modern shepherd in a settled farming community. Shepherds were way more like John Wayne and Clint Eastwood than we might realize if we just Leave it to the ideas in our heads because to lead a flock through these desolate regions with bandits and with predators, it was serious business. The desert was a desperate place and shepherds were both skilled and courageous. They were both tough and tender. But we have to apply this imagery of of a shepherd to God's love and you could do it from a hundred different angles through Psalm 23, but I just want to look at two. Two things we learn about God's love through this image of a shepherd. And the first is that God's love pursues. Why is this key? Because we wander. Sheep often stray. They break off from the pack. They get lost. I don't know how many of you guys remember the movie Homeward Bound. Anybody? Anybody an 80s baby right in the 90s? That movie came out. It was a Disney movie with animal actors, and they were voiced over. It's based on this true story of two dogs and a cat that went through 250 miles of Canadian wilderness to get home. Crazy, remarkable story that Disney, you know, sensationalized and made hilarious and made you cry at the end. But it, was, it didn't win any Academy Awards, but it, the, v, the VHS tape, my parents can attest, was worn out because we watched it so much. You learn some valuable lessons in Homeward Bound. Don't mess with porcupines. Stay off railroad tracks. At the end, never give up. Right? The, all right, I'm going to ruin another old movie, but the golden retriever comes limping up the hill at the end. And you're just sobbing. Again, I'm not going to ruin Black Panther. That just came out, but if a movie's been out for 15 years, it's fair game. That's probably been out for 20. But it's remarkable because dogs... Some animals, you look at whales, even uh, honeybees, they have this crazy sense of direction. And they could go 250 miles across the Canadian wilderness and find home. It's an almost unexplainable sense of direction. Sheep don't have that. 
If this movie was about sheep, it would have made it through the opening credits and they'd have already been in trouble, eaten, or just on their back, not able to get up. Because when sheep wander off, it gets ugly quickly. If, if their wool, I almost said hair, still on that hairdresser thing. If their wool isn't trimmed back, it can grow over their eyes and they can just be blinded. If they're too top-heavy because of their wool, when they lean over to drink out of a creek or a body of water, they can fall over and drown. If, if a sheep has too much wool or is pregnant, is, again, heavy, and, and is laying down and can't press its feet against something, they get stuck. They're, they're a buffet just waiting for the next predator to come along and eat them. Bottom line, a sheep that wanders off is not homeward bound. It's doomed. <laughs> and this is what we're described as. In Isaiah 56, or excuse me, 53, verse 6, he says, we all have wandered away like sheep. Each of us has gone his own way. But what's powerful is God, our good shepherd, in his love, he pursues us. And again, we talked about this a little bit last week about how in terms of God's love, he meets us where we're at. He loves us enough to pursue us, find us, and meet us where we, we are at. But again, he loves us so much he doesn't leave us where we're at. He calls us to conform into the image of Christ again. And he loves us so much that he left where he was at, heaven, to pursue us and to go to a cross to die for us while we were still sinners. Such a powerful image, the gospel. And it's, it's inspired so many songs, like the songs we sang tonight and, and, and many hymns. And my favorite hymn, hands down, is Come Thou Fount by Robert Robinson. Favorite version is by King's Kaleidoscope, but that's free. You can look it up later. But in the second stanza of this song, it says, Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. And fold's not really a, a word we use much in our day-to-day. Some of y'all like folding laundry? Yeah, I stray from that too. I run from a big old pile of laundry. You can ask Steph. But uh, it's not what that means. A fold is the enclosure where sheep were contained, where they were kept. And then in the third stanza, we see the, the line that is so memorable. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Right? Prone to leave the good shepherd that, that came to pursue us. And then in the fourth stanza, oh, that day when freed from sinning, I shall see thy lovely face. I think the song means so much to me because I can relate. I'm not perfect. There are days where I wander. I don't have a good day. I'm prone to drift. And until the day I see God face to face and Jesus face to face, hopefully as I grow and follow Jesus, I get better at that. But until the day I meet him, I'm not going to be perfect. I'm prone to have bad days way more than I am to have a perfect day. I haven't chalked one of those up yet. But the good news is that God, our shepherd, he's prone to pursue us. It says in Luke 15 in the parable of the shepherd that leaves the 99 for the one that when he finds that sheep, he takes his rod and his staff out and he just beats some sense. No, he doesn't do that. He throws it over his shoulder and carries it with joy back to the fold. It's in Luke, that, that illustration and that parable. Again, God calls us sheep. Doesn't call us golden retrievers that can just go over 250 miles of wilderness and find our way home. He calls us sheep. This is what he calls us. He knows that we're prone to wander. And that's not some paralyzing surprise to God. He is a steady pursuer. And God's pursuit of us, like we, we know, again, we talk about that, that Jesus left heaven to pursue us and to die on the cross. But it's not a one-time pursuit. He wasn't just your shepherd on the day you went to the altar and that one time you believed. He is your shepherd day in and day out. And he's a shepherd that pursues us when we roam, wander, or drift. He's not just a shepherd on your good days. He's a shepherd on your bad days. Come on, that's some good news, that he's not just a shepherd on your good days, he's a shepherd on your bad days. And if there's anybody uniquely qualified to write about this, it will be David. 
You look at David's life, he had some high highs and some low lows. He had some peaks and some valleys, some twists and turns. High highs, right? Goliath. Low lows, Bathsheba. Not killing Saul, killing Uriah the Hittite. Right? Winning battle after battle in God's name, taking a census against God's will. He had high highs, he had low lows. So when I, I read about David's life, you're reading from cover to cover, right? You read about David's life and then you get to the Psalms that he wrote. It used to bother me when I read Verses like Psalm 18, verse 20, where he says, The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to my, the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. And I read that, I'm like, when did he write this? I just read his life story. When? But then you keep reading the Psalms. You see something like Psalm 51, where you realize he's very well aware of his brokenness. Where he says, surely I was sinful from birth, from the moment my mother conceived me. And how could you connect those two? How could, you, how could you write that and then that? It's because of Psalm 23 where he realizes he is a good shepherd who pursues him, who restores his soul, forgives his sin, and then puts him back on the path of righteousness and continues to lead. David says from experience, man, my shepherd is amazing. David's assurance wasn't in her perfection but the fact, her, <laughs> his perfection, but the fact he had a perfect shepherd that pursues him even when he stumbles. And we have the same thing. He, he puts us back on the path of righteousness, and he leads us. And that's the second point I want to look at tonight, that God's love leads. We have to understand how he leads. Because when we think of a, a herd and moving animals here in America, I mean, we think of cowboys. Again, John Wayne and, and herding cattle, and that was, that was a big deal here in the United States for a long time. And if you had a big old herd of cattle, you might have one person in the front, but you kind of form a crescent moon behind them, and you got whips, and you're just cracking those things over their heads, right, to remind them that, hey, you knucklehead cattle, keep it moving, right? You're trying to drive these, this herd and get them moving. But I love this picture we get of God's leading in Isaiah chapter 40. It's verses 10 through 11. It says, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. If you just read that, you might think that his mighty arm is cracking a rip real well, right over our heads to keep us moving. But it goes on to say, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lamb in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. See, this picture of a cowboy, they drive cattle. But a shepherd, a good shepherd, draws his sheep. The good shepherd leads from the front and leads with his voice. You know, sheep are sensitive animals. This is why God chose them for us that can't take a hard driving. You have to lead them gently. You think back in Genesis 33 when Jacob and Esau, they meet. And Esau's like, hey, let's roll. Let's go. We met up again after all these years. Let's go to this destination and be together. And Jacob's like, I got these sheep. They have young. If I drive them too hard, they'll perish. And it's this image that you have to lead the flock gently. How does God lead us gently? How does our good shepherd lead us gently? Well, for one, first, he doesn't make us bear the full weight of the journey at once. Hebrews 4.16 says we will find the grace to help us when we need it. He will, we will find the grace to help us when we need it. Prior to the rocks, our shepherd says, hey, watch your step. Right? Prior to that rise, he says you're going to need to step up. Prior to that corner, there's, there's a bend. Mind the bend. He gives us grace when we need it. And as a result, as we travel through life and we experience those twists and those turns, we can travel light. We don't have to carry the full weight of worrying about next month, next year. Tomorrow's problems can be handled tomorrow. It, when, when David writes about Psalm 119, it's not a, a crystal ball into our future. It's a light unto our feet, right, that, that illuminates our path. When God gave the Israelites manna, it wasn't a month's supply or a week's supply. It was a day's supply. 
When Jesus tells us to pray to God, he doesn't say our monthly bread, our annual bread. He says our daily bread. There's this, there's this freedom that comes when you just embrace that God's grace is for today and it's made new every morning and it's always going to be there. We can travel light. But then secondly, we see that a good shepherd leads not by driving with violence, but leading with his voice. Not with a whip, but with a whistle or a, uh, his voice or a flute. You know, during the Palestinian uprising, there's this story. It happened in the 1980s. And there was an Israeli commander that wanted to punish this village because they weren't paying taxes. So he came in, and he stripped every home of all their animals, all their flocks. So hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of animals. And he put them in one, one fold, one pen with barbed wire around it. And after a couple days, a woman came to him and, and was begging and pleading that, that he allow her to take her sheep back because her husband had passed away. It was their only uh, source of livelihood. And he looked at her, right, hundreds of these animals right here, and he just kind of mockingly said, yeah, if you can get them out of here in the next five minutes, you can have them. So then her young son comes up with a flute, just starts playing a couple notes in succession. And as he does that, sheep's head just kind of pop up. How oh, was that? And it, it's, within a couple minutes, he's walking home with 25 sheep behind him. He didn't go in there with a, a staff to beat him out or chase him down. He wasn't yelling. He wasn't in there with a whip. He simply played his flute from the gate. The sheep heard it, and they came. Jesus draws, and he leads his sheep gently. Man, Stephanie Birch preached my sermon before I came up here. It's just remarkable how the Holy Spirit works. John 10, 24, Jesus says, after he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. Jesus draws and leads his sheep gently with his voice. So the question for us is, do we hear his voice? Do we listen for his voice? Do we heed his voice? And I love that even Fred, he's right out of a, a, a study through Mark Batterson in that book, what was it, Whisper? About God's voice. But if you want to get to know God's voice, it was like Stephanie was saying in her, her, her exhortation. Get my pronouns flipped here tonight. Her exhortation. Get in his word. Get in prayer. And, and not like the break glass in case of emergency where you're in the middle of a storm like, God, I need to hear your voice, right? When it's quiet, you're in the green pastures, open up your Bible, begin to pray, and then you'll be equipped to discern the wisdom and the voice of God when you're in that storm and you're in that chaos. But you know what's tricky is, I've shared it before, this idea of post-truth. It was the word of the year in 2016. We live in a post-truth society where feelings are more important than facts in terms of how we navigate our life. And the truth doesn't matter as much as what makes us happy. That's what this word post-truth means. It was the word of the year by Oxford Dictionary just a year ago. But you know what's tricky is in our lives we'll follow those that are taking a path that looks like it appeals to us or make us happy. But sheep make lousy shepherds. <laughs> sheep shouldn't lead sheep. Sheep are prone to follow other sheep. If they're in a pack, if there's not just one, to where sheep literally will follow each other to the slaughter. If one sheep walks off a cliff, falls to his death, and there's other sheep around them, they'll just walk right off the cliff with them. They're... they're, they're trained from an early age as young lambs to follow the sheep ahead of them. And it just, they're not, they're not hardwired to lead each other. They're not hardwired to shepherd themselves. Again, they're the most dependent of animals. So why do I say that? May we be a people that encounter God in his pursuit as he meets us where we are at. But may we be a people that when he doesn't leave us where we're at, and he gets to leading us and calling us, even if it's into a valley or a storm, that we heed his voice. Because God pursues and he meets us where we're at, but that's not permission to stay where we're at. He also leads us. 
We may be prone to wander, but that's not permission to wander. Jesus doesn't say, hey, wander aimlessly behind me. He said, follow me. Paul didn't say, hey, wander aimlessly behind me as I wander aimlessly behind Christ. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. We're called to follow. We're called to follow well because we're also called to lead in this life like Paul, a life that follows Christ and his voice well. We've been talking about our vision this vision that God's given us that we've been walking out for more than a decade now, but the vision that, that God gave Pastor Fred, this idea of encounter God's presence, embrace God's family, engage God's mission. Simple as that. Encounter his presence, embrace his people, engage his mission. We're called to encounter God and meet him as he pursues us and puts us back on the path of righteousness. We're called to embrace his people, the fold and the flock he has for us, but we're also called to engage his mission. And calling as believers to live a life that says, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. And we don't just shout that into the air, right, as we're driving down the road, follow me as I follow Christ. No. We're called to reflect the love of Jesus, this good shepherd that pursues people. As he said in the message verse, I didn't come to coddle insiders but pursue outsiders. And there's a, a powerful verse in Matthew 9, verses 36 through 38, where he says, or it says of Jesus that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. So how does this picture of love, as I said I want to do each week in this series, how does it inform our love in this life? And we don't have much time, but may our love be informed by the compassion of the good shepherd. Because compassion doesn't just, you don't just feel something, it moves you. You're provoked to action. I love how compassion, as he talks about it in this verse, within words he's talking about the work. He's talking about workers that are needed for this task of, of tending the harvest. This mission we're given, we're called to engage, that later becomes the great commission. And Jesus says, ask, he says, pray. It was just, I think, two or three weeks ago where we handed these bookmarks out for the simple purposes. Throw them in your Bible. Put names on here of people that, that God has placed in your life that need to know him and the truth of Jesus Christ. And pray. Jesus says, so pray. It's the first step. Get the Holy Spirit involved. We don't change anybody. Like we said a couple weeks ago, we, we set the table. We have hospitality so that people can be changed by the Holy Spirit. But may we also not just pray like Jesus did, but love like Jesus did. Not a life that was consumed by busyness, but he paused again and again to pursue the lost that were needed. He had compassion that provoked him. And may we do the same and share the hope we have. And what's the hope we have? That in love, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, he lays his life down. If I could have the worship team come up as we close. The most important part of Jesus' role as shepherd is his claim that he lays down his life for his sheep. He says it in John chapter 10, verses 11, where he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. And this Greek word for here, it's used exclusively in John's gospel for sacrificial context. It's why the New Living Translation translates it as he sacrifices his life for the sheep. Why does this matter? Because, again, if you look at how the Israelites, their covenant with God was defined in the Old Testament, the way that the covenant was set up is that when the people stumbled before God and their side of the covenant, sheep would be sacrificed for the sins of the shepherds. But you see, in the New Testament, we get the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. And that's good news because we're all sheep and we've gone astray. We're prone to wander, destined to perish without a good shepherd. But praise God that our good shepherd is Jesus Christ. 
And like we shared last weekend, he's not just a picture. He's not just an image or a metaphor, some 2D picture that we hold. No, he is a 3D God in the flesh, the invisible God visible to us. He is a person we get to behold. And it says in Philippians 2 that after he left the throne room of heaven out of obedience to pursue us, even to death on the cross, that he ascended. But he'll return. And when we truly behold Jesus, it says in Philippians 2, every knee will bow. You know, I opened with a Billy Graham quote, and let me close with one. He says, I'll be home someday, and I'll have a great welcome. The trumpets will play. The angels will be there. Christ will be there. What a glorious time that will be. It's powerful to reflect that he's home now. He's with his good shepherd. And no doubt, Billy Graham took a knee and bowed in his presence when he stood before him. Laid down his crown at his feet. And he would have told you. And I'll tell you right now, it's most important that we bow to Jesus Christ as Lord in this life while we're still breathing, while we're here on this journey God has us on and not the next. My prayer every time we, we step into these services, as I'm praying during Saturday, is God, let every knee bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The most important decision we'll ever make in our lives, and I believe one of the songs we opened with sang to this idea that we're called to bend every knee to God to Jesus Christ because he laid down his life for us. So if we could stand as we go into worship, I wanna reflect not on, on that, but th that idea of laying down our life, kneeling before Jesus because he laid down his life for us. When we respond in kind and lay down our life before him, we get something so much bigger. We find the good shepherd who pursues us, meets us and restores us and puts us back on righteous paths. We find healing, redemption, whether that's physical healing, psychological healing, whatever it is. And man, just as we stand and we get ready to go back into worship about this love of, of God, the, the good shepherd that leaves the 99 to find the one, if you feel like the one tonight, you, you feel, I've, I've wandered. Yes, I'm prone to wander, but I've wandered in the last 24 hours, the last week. Maybe you've been wandering your whole life and you've never said, Jesus, I want you to be my shepherd. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my king. Or whether it's been your whole life for the next 24 hours, you just feel like, God, I want you to meet me again tonight. Pick me up, put me back on the path of righteousness and restore my soul. If that's you tonight, and you feel more like Psalm 51 than you do Psalm 1820. You feel, God, surely I've been sinful since birth and I need you to touch my life. You just feel like you've wandered. Just raise your hand where you're at. Lord Jesus, I pray for each person here. God, we thank you that you have them on a journey. God, and I pray that as we seek our identity, we seek uh, to, to be fulfilled, God, that we wouldn't be shepherded and driven by our feelings, our desires, what we cling to, but above all else, we cling to your truth, your word, God, your voice. God, I pray that here tonight, God, you would speak to each one of us in a very real way. God, whether it was from the songs we sang or the word of God that was shared, or simply this image of the shepherd and the sheep, Lord God, I pray that each one of us here, God, we would, we would as it says in James, as we draw near to you, you draw near to us, we would meet you in your pursuit. As you're knocking on the doors, it says in Revelation 3.20, we would open that door and you would uh, commune with us, God. But we just open up this opportunity in worship as we sing. God, we want to pursue you in our worship. We want to meet you in our worship. God, we want to hear your voice in our worship. God, may we be sheep that know the voice of our shepherd. 
And if you need prayer for anything, any of those things, you mean, yeah, I've wandered, I need prayer. The Nawatneys are back in the corner. I'll be up here as we worship. We'd love to pray for you, but everybody else, let's worship the name of Jesus in this place.